0: This is the Tan Talk Radio Network.
1: Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook.
2: And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Now today is a special Masters and Legends show. Masters and Legends was inspired by the legendary sax and trumpet jazz musician Glenn Zitola. I'm proud to call him my friend. Glenn is joining us today from Los Angeles to co-host this show with his legendary brother and our special guest Bob Zitola from Naples, Florida. Glenn, I want to thank you for being my co-host today.
0: Thanks, Laurie. Great to be with you again. Thank you. In our last interview, I mentioned the value of growing up in a musical family. We're pleased to have my brother Bob here today, a great trumpet player and artist, who was a real inspiration for me during those formative years. Hi, Bob. Hey, Glenn.
2: Well, thank you. Thank Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys for, for doing this, because this is going to be a fun show. We're going to play a lot of uh, music today. And I want to start with, Bob, you know, life, I know from Glenn, but I want you to tell me, life in the Zatola household, you were born into a musical family. What was it like?
1: Oh, well, it certainly was uh, rather unusual in that um, I heard music from day one uh maybe uh, you know in the womb also <laughs> of course okay <laughs> um band rehearsals in the house uh, mom and dad actually met um on a gig when they were i think about 16 years old and uh, they continued to play the piano was always in the house and and dad was always practicing or rehearsing with a big band right in the household so uh, i was immersed it was called the immersion method <laughs>
2: <laughs> Kind of born into it. Speaking of that, I I think I gave a misnomer because
0: I had said that I heard my dad rehearsing a big band in the living room. But actually, after talking to Bob, I realized it was Bob. I was probably five or six years old rehearsing a a big band that he had that he used to go out and do gigs with. Right, Bob? Yeah, yeah. My my high school big band. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Now, what made you pick the trumpet? Was it because dad played trumpet or did you choose that on your own?
1: Well, that was kind of an interesting uh, little twist, because uh, I was eight years old, and um, the band director, Archie Jacobs, um, knew that my dad was a musician, my mom was a musician, and he said, uh, how would you like to be in the band, Bob? Bobby? They called me Bobby then. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I ran home all excited, and dad, 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 Mr. Jacobs wants me in the band, but I don't know what instrument to play. And he just pointed over to the trumpet that was on top of the upright piano in the house. And he said, well, there it is. So uh, I said, okay. And then he said, well, if you want to learn to play the trumpet, you must study the La Scala Milano method, which means solfeggio, and you don't play an instrument for the first six months. And I said, Dad, oh, no. He said, well, then you're on your own. Uh All right, so I went uh, and took a class with Mr. Jacobs, who was a bad piano player and didn't know anything about trumpet. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we were in a circle, and there were maybe about eight of us, seven or eight of us, and we're playing from these little books. Now, my my background up to that point is listening to Puccini and Louis Armstrong and Big Spiderbeck and uh Ravel and all this gorgeous music and I'm hearing all these horrible sounds uh and uh and th- what the most disappointing part is uh this girl right next to me Dolores sounded much better than I did and so I quit after 2 weeks okay that was my uh, introduction to uh to the trumpet and I didn't get back into it until I was uh, about 11 11 and a half something like that and I said okay dad I'm ready to do it your way
2: <laughs> and so you did
1: I did, yeah. He modified it by that time. It wasn't uh, as strict as... um, See, he studied the European method, uh, which means you take lessons two or three times a week. Of course, in those days, it was 50 cents a lesson.
2: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, big difference. uh,
1: It's it's more of an apprenticeship, which uh, we can talk about a little bit later. I have uh, adapted uh, uh, for my teaching.
2: Well, you mentioned the solfege method. So you're talking that you, you basically learn to play by ear and not read notes?
1: Oh, no. The solfege method, you you read the music, um, but you sing the notes. And you sing oh. them with the syllables. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do.
2: Gotcha. I saw that little video of you on YouTube where you actually sang.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't really sing uh, much until I went into the Air Force, which we can talk about later if you like. Uh, we started. We had a four freshman um, high lows type group, and then and, and I did sing in there. But uh, that was just a very uh, uh, limited experience with singing until I until I finally came down here and retired and uh, semi retired, I should say, here in Naples, Florida, and um, and added singing on to what I was doing.
2: Now I just have to ask Glenn, Glenn, mm-hmm. gl- Glenn. Yeah. Did you were you inspired also to play the trumpet by listening to Bob play?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I had the same setup. There was trumpet trumpets hanging all over the house. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, really, really no choice. I mean, that was the instrument of choice in the house, kind of you know. So yeah. it's a similar situation to to um, to Bob. But the point is, already Bob was already playing, and uh, you know that was a tremendous inspiration. I remember hearing him as a kid. I mean, my first little recording. You remember this recording, Bob? I think it was five doing Carnival of Venice. We had this little. Those days, a little recording machine. So there was, like, like Bob said, there was music all around. I mean, jam sessions uh, daily. Yeah,
2: you, you, yep. you, you guys were, you were born into it. Well, I, I think what we want to do is play an audio clip from "I Cover the Waterfront."
0: Oh, good. Okay, okay. We, just, we just did that, Bob and I. Yeah, long just uh, here, what oh. three or four weeks ago,
2: right? Oh, good. All right, so let's play it, and then right. you guys can talk about it. All right, guys. So tell me about "I Cover the Waterfront."
1: Uh, well, it, it's 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 a gorgeous song, and um, it allowed for what we call uh, bi-coastal recording. Um, <laughs> in, in L.A. and me being in Naples, Florida, and uh, I'd record something, send it to him. He'd record something, send it back to me, and we go back and forth until we get it. So we like uh, the the overall effect. <laughs>
2: So th- that's amazing. Then the quality—you're not even together, and the quality sounds like you are.
1: Yeah, it's just so many years of um, of that kind of uh, simpatico, you know, the interplay. Um, we can make it happen. In, I, I think we, Glenn and I, both agree that we can make it happen even better in person. But uh, we still can make it happen uh, with that uh, little uh, handicap.
2: <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, it's- the re- the re- the rapport.
0: I mean, like. We Bob and I, you know, for whatever reason, growing up in the musical family, having similar tastes, hearing similar music, we have a simpatico and a rapport that we we share a very similar reality, especially on melodic playing, and I think that is a bond that's uh, that's very strong.
2: Well, what what amazes me, I mean, uh, clearly you're both perfect pitch. You, you you don't need to read any notes, Glenn. I know when we've you know we did our show with you. You you can just jump in, not know what key you're in. You don't need to know the format or the chords. You guys seem to just be able to hear and play, and and so keep in mind most people can't do that.
1: Oh, this is very true. I'm in my teaching. I've am surprised of some of the very fine classical musicians that um, I've had, uh, you know, to teach try to teach them this impro- improvisation technique. Um, They feel lost if they don't see the the notation, the printed notes in front of them.
2: Right. Well, I I understand that because I have a classical music background and education. And so, you know, I have relative pitch. I can hear it. I can almost when I memorize something, I can hear the notes and I actually am backwards. I can't do the improv that I wish I could because no one taught me. However, I can look at a piece of music and hear it in my head, which most people can't do. But that does not really... That's great. Yeah, but it doesn't... Yeah, doesn't, that's
0: great. It doesn't, that's a foundation. Yeah, it, it, right there. It is, mm-hmm. but... You know, Bob, there are some. Learning, there are some people that look, and I'm talking about very good players, they look at a piece of music and they do not hear it in their head. It's okay. great that you can look at it and at least hear it.
2: But I want what you guys have. Right,
0: Bob? <laughs> <laughs> right, Bob? That's, that's a high-level quality, Right. Oh, absolutely.
2: Well, Bob, tell me a little bit about you know playing through your school years. I mean, did your dad? I'm thinking your dad taught you. Did you take lessons from other people? Did you Did you play in bands? Maybe in you know elementary school through through high school. Did you go on? How, how did your learning period happen?
1: Well, I did uh, study with uh, with my dad. Of course, he was my one and only teacher. Although I. I um, I, I was on uh, several um, radio and TV shows, the Ted Back Show. Um, I went on to do the um, Paul Whiteman Show. It was called TV Teen Club or something like I can't remember the name of it now. And then finally, the um, Arthur Godfrey Talent Scout Show. So um, I, I did a lot, uh, you know, in terms of performing um, during those school years. And of course, there was the school band, which was just a standard school band. They didn't in those days have uh, a jazz version. Um, the, the jazz version was a band I started that Glenn was talking about okay. that he heard as a as a young boy.
2: Okay. Now, talk a little bit about, let's go back, the, the, the natural or ear-based approach. So, you know, if you're a musician, it might be to, easier to understand, but if you're not a musician, how would you explain that?
1: Uh, I would say uh, eyes before Instead of eyes before ears, which is what we were talking about earlier with the the classical traditional way of learning, it's ears before eyes. All right. And so I've come up with a kind of a seven-step program to increase uh, jazz playing skills, let's say. And uh, number one is to sing and play the actual melody. And then read and understand the lyrics and story. I mean, if you're playing uh, I Cover the Waterfront, you should know what that's all about. It's not a a story about the Teamsters, you know?
2: Right, right. Well, Um, yeah, I think, you, you know what it is? What lacks what I find with a lot of people who perform is the emotion within the song. And so, yeah. you know, Glenn always says to me, you got to be Glenn, you got to be singing through that horn like you're singing. And so if you're on piano, you got to be using your fingers to sing through that song. And if you don't know what that song is about, it it comes out not sounding like anything. Glenn, you were going to share a story?
0: You know, something interesting. My dad, who was a great trumpet player, and he had he, lo- he had a thing called uh, Bell's Palsy when he in his prime. And at the time, they didn't know what that was. He kind of lost his lip, right, early in his prime. Anyway, when he was in his prime, he played in, in Italian concert bands, okay? Now, Italian concert bands played opera. They had played Puccini, Verdi, but they didn't have any opera singers, okay? So the horn players would do the arias on trumpet. And my dad was one of the primo trumpet players, to be able to do that, so regarding singing through the horn, he and he used to tell me those stories. He got to get, he had to get up there and do like an aria from Tosca or La Boheme or Madame Butterfly, and he had to just do it like like an uh, a high, uh, like like a, a high quality opera singer would do it. So there's the concept of singing through the horn that went on during those days in the Italian concert band, and you remember you know all about that, Bob, right? Well, especially because
1: Dad started the Westchester County Concert Band, uh, and uh, you know I had the opportunity to play third cornet in the in that band uh, with all these pros, and uh, we played all, all of the um, all the great operatic uh, um, um, arrangements. It was wonderful.
2: Okay, I think I want to play another audio clip. Uh, the Smithsonian Repertory Jazz Band. Okay? Oh yeah, that now, was, this is the music that, of that King it. Oliver. Okay. Okay. This
0: is an interesting. Before you play it, Laurie. Okay. This is the music of the great King Oliver. Okay. And he had a band. Let me let me explain this. Sure. He had a band that had the young Louis Armstrong in it. Okay. King Oliver was a mentor for Louis Armstrong. He was older, and this is a very famous called the Creole Band, and and. When we did this album, I played the part of Louis Armstrong, and Bob (laughs) played the part of King Oliver, which is really odd. because (laughs) King Oliver was the older mentor for Louis, and in this setting, Bob is my older brother, and we're playing together similar to the original.
2: Cool. Okay, let's listen to it. Now, guys, that that we're dancing over here in the studio. Just so you know,
0: good, good, good. That's, <laughs> that's the idea. That's, <laughs> and you, that was led. That, that was led by Bob Wilbur. Lori, you know Bob Wilbur through your mom,
2: right? Right, exactly. Oh, and, and so yeah, my mom is a big jazz person. Um, you know, through that, I hear kind of like I hear the jazz, but I hear the I hear Dixieland, I hear klezma music. Like that's kind of where it developed out of. Correct?
1: Sure. That uh, that's the basis. Of, of the New Orleans sound, the Dixieland sound, and later on the Klezmer sound, sure.
2: Yeah, pretty interesting.
0: You know, we're talking yeah. about this was a very, very historical band, and in the twenties, this is before Louis Armstrong was even famous because he joined this band, and King Oliver was a big deal. And this was a very the Creole band was a was a music changed the music world in the twenties.
2: Okay, that mm-hmm. band. Right, I could see like the flapper style dancing. You know, we're, we're dancing. It's dance music. It's 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 happy music, and it's got that great beat going to it. Um, you know what? I wanted to ask um, to Bob. What is, talk about a little bit about imitate then invent?
1: Oh, I missed a couple of words there. Um, would you repeat that? Sure,
2: imitate then invent.
1: Well, actually, um, I made a few more steps in there. Sub sub steps, right? Sure. Uh, imitate. Emulate, innovate, or maybe invent, then innovate. You know, but the uh, basic idea is you you start with uh, an idol and you idolize him and you learn from him, and that's what that's what's the, all the legends of jazz have done. I know Glenn certainly has done that, and um, I, I started that way, you know, even though I, I, I started in a, in a rather traditional way with my father, it's still a, I listened constantly and, and imitated.
2: Okay. Now, what is, the, how would you, okay, what is the balance between sound and silence, this, the space thing? Talk about the space thing.
1: Oh, Glenn and I have uh, a lot of conversations about mm-hmm. this because one of the one of the negative factors of uh, so much of the contemporary jazz music is they tend to play fill up every possible space uh, with a zillion notes and uh, and not allow it to breathe.
0: Okay, and a good which is actually in, that, in, all, in truth, uh, in
1: truth, Bob, it's actually the world we live in. No. Well, yeah, it is. Everything is rapid fire, and that's for sure. Uh,
0: but music should be above, above and beyond that, don't you think, Glenn? Absolutely, but that's, you know, that's the world we live in with the Internet. I mean, I heard President Obama talking. Very interesting. He was saying, you know, he was reading about when, when, the, when the, this is off the subject, but when the, uh, the missile crisis happened in Cuba during his regime, he had about yeah. two weeks to respond. And Obama said, I have about one hour now. <laughs>
2: oh my God.
0: Like if, something, <laughs> if something happens in Syria, I have to do something within about an hour. And Kennedy had like two weeks to respond oh, to Oh, because of the crisis. internet.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Look at that. You know, one it's of the things. And one yeah. of the things I, I want to mention to you guys, too, is, you know, when I've been to jazz concerts, and I hate to say it, it's usually the piano player, um, but sometimes they go so far off track from the melody that it's almost more of a show-off thing and then I'm a musician, I lose interest because I'm listening to a particular song but they go so far off track on their little solo in that song and then it takes forever to come back and then I look at people and they all look puzzled.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting also (laughs) historically that when bebop came on the the scene uh, people were scratching their heads in a similar way like, what? What is that? yeah uh, but i I'm totally with you on that uh, in fact, my seventh step of the seven step program uh is to compose a new invent freestyle and it doesn't have to be based on uh any of the similar uh melodies or character or flavor even it can it can go freestyle but um what you're describing is they go to freestyle right away
2: right. And so when you perform a song and this question is for either of you when you're performing a song you know the, the improv thing for a particular song it's different mm-hmm. every time it's you, you don't it's not like you're playing the exact same thing every single time it's it's different
0: Absolutely sure
2: Okay now one of the things Bob you I, know I got
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead, Glenn. One of the things just as a as a side note, the way I play, and I'm different you know, Bob's much more disciplined than me. I'm a total ear player. I mean I can read music, but as far as a jazz player, I'm an ear player, which is kind of old school. A lot of great players, Louis Armstrong on up, were ear players. There was no colleges then, okay. But the point is, uh, and this Bob and I have discussed this a lot, and this has to do with the melody. For me, being an air player, I use the melody, whether I'm playing the melody or not. I always hear the melody, and the melody to me is like a beacon, like a a lighthouse or a beacon. The melody notes, they light up the road for me. As I'm navigating through a song, playing a song and improvising a new melody, that existing melody for me guides me through the song. Right, and but, I think Bob can explain that better than me. Yeah, that would be good. Oh, that's beautifully explained, and that keeps you grounded,
1: you know, and, and that keeps the listener grounded, too. Uh, like you were describing, uh, Laurie, that, you know, people are wondering, what is this? That, that doesn't sound like Somewhere Over the Rainbow or whatever the song might be.
2: You're, yeah, you'd be changing the melody to the same, to the chords of this, the progression of that song, and, and it wouldn't and, make and, you sense.
0: Know, sp- speaking, speaking of something that Terry Gibbs, who you interviewed, said right. about Charlie Parker, okay, so... To me, you know, Miles Davis he summed up jazz in two words, Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker. They're like the Alpha and Omega of jazz of the golden age, 1920 through 1950. And Bob will verify. It's a 30-year renaissance that produced some of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. But, but the point is that Terry Gibbs said that whatever Charlie Parker played, fast or slow or complicated, it was always a song. Here's the key point. Charlie Parker who was very advanced was a melodic player okay there's lots of melody in his solos and I'll let Bob expound on that okay yeah well
1: he never lost or we would never have lost that feeling of being grounded in the song whether it was the famous embraceable you or any of any of just friends you know or any of these songs uh, and I guess he got criticized, did he not, Glenn, for, you know, being too commercial or 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 selling out by not, um, you know, straying far from the melody um, mm-hmm. by his, his some of his colleagues, I guess. But um, to me, um, that's what I want to
2: hear. Okay. Now, what I want to do... I yeah, I wanna... like, I think you're... I think we
0: agree, Bob, I think we agree. It doesn't matter if you want to do step seven and invent your own melody, but... The melodic aspect is the key point, right? Good one.
1: Yes, yes. It's still got to be melodic. If it's going to be um, just um, far out uh, dissonant stuff that has no relationship to a melody, then then it's uh, it hurts. It it actually hurts.
2: Okay. Well, I don't want. Well, you... Let's
0: divert for a second, Laurie, Let's divert for a second because we're talking a lot about education. I want Bob to explain because I think his pro- approach to, to, to improvisation is new, okay? And I wanted to explain a little bit, but we've talked about this a lot, how you hear guys today, and I'm not going to criticize anybody, they're very practiced, they're real virtuosos, but this melodic aspect is missing, meaning it sounds like they're playing a lot of predetermined patterns and scales that they've learned by the new method, and it misses this melodic thing that I'm talking about with Charlie Parker. Okay. Uh, maybe you can explain that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's, all, it's it's quite a
1: barrier to get through because uh, at least with the students I've I've had, um, they expect me to give them um, uh, um, an actual lesson to practice. Practice this for twenty minutes, then do this for five, then do this seven, and, uh, and then come back and see me next week, and uh, I'll give you your next lesson. Or they're they're geared to you know the, the many. Uh, methods that are already published, some of them with CDs and DVDs, and some of them are really terrific. I even utilize some of them in a modified way in my teaching, but uh, they have to be monitored, and that's where the apprenticeship comes in. Ideally, that three or four times a week, uh, European-style, uh, applied to jazz study would be ideal. Not once a week and come back in, in a week or two and uh, we'll listen to how How are you doing with it?
2: Right. And I I think most teachers don't really teach that way. At least mine didn't. But don't go anywhere, guys. We are going to go to a quick commercial break and we will be back in just a moment.
0: Consumers, Do you have bad credit? Can't purchase a house or car? Paying too much in interest on your credit cards and loans? Scammed by credit repair companies? There is hope. You can get back on track and do it the right way. Call Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500-6064. Or go to crediteducationconsultants.com now and get the help you need. Don't delay. Call today. Mortgage reps and realtor inquiries are also welcomed. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant
1: service provider in the industry. Providing e commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payments James Carner at
0: 813 777 4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payments James Carner at 813 777 4332. That's James Carner 813
1: 777 4332.
2: Four, three, three, two. And welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. Masters and Legends show today with Glenn and Bob Zatola. Music legends. Thank you guys for being here. Um, we came back with just friends tell me about that
0: well it's from my heart like my clifford brown tribute uh the this is the string album that charlie parker did in 1949 the first time any jazz player played with strings and it's in the grammys right now and it was really from my heart i did the original 1949 arrangements with my own solos and uh like i say uh with with Charlie Parker's spirit in mind, and if, what a what a priceless thing is to have Charlie Parker having opening the door and pointing the way. He was a big inspiration for me, along with Louis Armstrong.
2: Okay, um, uh, Bob, I want to ask you about you know your biggest influences growing up, listening to music.
1: Well, there was, I, my father had a record collection that was inc- just amazing. Uh, he and both classical music and and jazz. A lot of big band bands that we don 't we never hear anymore, or even recordings and um, but Harry James was hot stuff at that time when mm-hmm. I was a little boy yeah <laughs> and uh, i lo- I loved his playing, and I also went to the movies every friday with my uh, with my mom and dad. And saw a lot of movies where he and Betty Grable were starring in it. And okay. I said, wow, not only does he play so terrific, but look at the girl he got. He got this <laughs> terrific boy.
2: <laughs> That's why you became a <laughs> musician.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
1: it turned me on a lot. And um, obviously then the music was... Uh, <laughs> The music was Speaking number one. of that,
0: Laurie, you, did you hear the Godfrey show with Bob playing playing that arrangement? I think you yes. were what sixteen, Bob, or seventeen?
2: Yep, yep, amazing. I was sixteen then, yes, <laughs> amazing.
0: You guys. Well, he's playing. Yeah. He's playing. He's playing. He's playing I, I think that arrangement was written by my dad, but he's playing in in the in the Harry James uh, wow. uh, genre, and <laughs> it's an amazing. At sixteen years old, there's nobody that could play that. It's amazing playing. My God. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Glenn.
2: And and you guys are are to me walking history books. I mean, Glenn, we've done shows. I, I, I you know you guys need to write write books about your experiences so that the history is not lost on um, the younger generation that's trying to learn the you know the original jazz. Um, with Bob, with some of talk about some of maybe these famous people that you played with some some of these famous bands that you played with.
1: Oh well, you know, I when I uh, finished high school um the the band direct former band director of my high school band was now a colonel in the air force and he heard about me and uh, there was a trumpet player leaving uh in the in the air force band the Glenn Miller US Air Force band um and um so they contacted me and asked actually contacted my father said can you bring Bob down and have him audition for the band and uh, so he my dad drove me down I Sammy Nestico was the leader of the band, and I auditioned for it and um, passed the audition. And they shipped me off to uh, boot camp. Wow! And I spent four
0: years. Tell the funny with, story, um, Bob, about you. Uh,
1: fantastic band.
0: About you playing in Europe with the Miller Band with the Air Force. Tell that funny story because I have a story behind that.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, every once in a while, I was, as I said, seventeen years old, and every once in a while, um, um, a guest would come up. We play all over the world in in um, um, officers' clubs and even uh, civilian establishments. So a guest would come up and say, um, "What time will uh, Glenn be here?" Not Glenn Zatola, but Glenn Miller. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: this
1: is 1954. Okay? okay, he's long gone, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, Sammy Desco would say to this lady very tactfully. Um no I'm sorry um um Colonel Miller I guess or Major Miller whatever he was passed away quite a few years ago but we have his son here. And that was me.
2: <laughs> Good story well, now, you, Let me tell my story
0: I think. <laughs> now, Go ahead, you finish. Yeah, yeah. Are you finished? Yeah. So uh, the yes. first road uh, first band I went on the road with I left high school to go on the road at 17 with the Glenn Miller band led by the great clarinetist Buddy DeFranco. And we're in French Lick, Indiana, right? And this lady comes up and starts pu- tugging on Buddy's jacket saying, I paid the see Glenn Miller. Where is he? And, bu- and, bu- and Buddy was very, very, you know, a very nice guy, very diplomatic. He said, he died, ma'am. And she said, when? And he said, 40 years ago.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. You know,
0: I, yeah, I, 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 I want to share a little. So it's interesting that Bob, Bob and yeah. I have similar stories at 17 years old. Both having being playing with the Glenn Miller band.
2: Right. And, you know, and I'm so glad I have both of you on uh, just a little bit of tidbit. I still play piano, but but my grandfather back in the 40s, I don't know the name of the band that he played with, but he was in a big band and he played clarinet and he played saxophone. And so I loved the saxophone. But when you're in fourth grade, they don't let you play it until sixth. So I did the clarinet for a couple of years, and then I played the saxophone. But to this day, I still have his original 78 records in the original Glenn Miller album. Uh, Not that you can find a player to be able to play, but I also have all his alto saxophone, the original charts for alto saxophone for probably a couple of hundred songs. And so oh, I, I no. love, yeah, I loved oh. it so much. I remember in junior high school, I was in the jazz band and in high school. And but the Glenn Miller in the mood, that was kind of the song that made me go, Wow, I love this this kind of music. And you know like I,
0: national anthem, man.
2: Yeah, I, I love classical, <laughs> but you can't dance the classical. It doesn't really get you up and jumping and out of your seat happy and you hear all the different things going on. And so when you're I think when you're a musician you and you listen to music, you listen to a band You hear all the different instruments separately yet together, whereas I'm thinking probably someone who has not studied an instrument doesn't hear it exactly the same way, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's an educated ear. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yep. Now, one of the things I want to do...
0: You know, Duke, Duke Ellington said something very interesting. Duke Ellington said the first thing he looks for in a musician is if they know how to listen. Yeah, that's a biggie. We've but, talked about that, that so several fast, times so and uh you, you know, I have
1: uh I have a lot of experience with that with students who say, "Well, I yeah, I'm listening. I'm hearing it." I say, "Well, there's a difference between just hearing it and really understanding what you're hearing." You see? Uh, so gotcha. that, that's uh, another level of now,
2: Yeah, now I've got Lee Clark here with me, W W D C F he wants to ask a question. Lee. Oh, good. Hey gentlemen, um you mentioned Miles Davis. Did uh either of you ever
0: work with him or meet him?
1: Uh I have an interesting story with that. <laughs>
0: okay. I'd love to uh, hear all right. that. Even my a great story, Miles, idol. Yeah.
1: After um Louie after I graduated from um Harry James as my idol as a kid uh to to Louis Armstrong and uh Miles Davis Dizzy Gillespie and all the great jazz trumpet players but uh when I was in the air force and I was I guess I was probably 19 years old and um Miles came through with John Coltrane and Red Garland and uh the the wonderful band that uh, made all those early records but Miles didn't show up <laughs> so okay <laughs> uh Yeah, so one of the members of the band said, I'm going to talk to them. And he went up and he spoke to, um, I think he spoke to Red Garland, and he said, "Um, our jazz trumpet player from the uh, United States Air Force Glenn Miller Air Force Band is here with us tonight, and Miles is not here. How about letting him come up and play? And they let me play, and there I am standing with John Coltrane on one side of me, Red Garland, Paul Chambers, Philly Joe Jones and, uh, and I'm Miles Davis. All of a sudden,
0: <laughs> how did how did that go? Did you? Uh, how nervous were you? And uh, did, well, did, to be did honest with you, I, no or... <laughs> I have no
1: recollection. I have no real recollection of being nervous. <laughs> 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 but it's it, I can't uh, imagine that like I would, man. You know, uh, here I am. Like standing on Carnegie Hall, playing with uh, Itzhak Perlman, you know, and and I'm
0: four years old. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, did they? Did they uh, how did I, they? I,
0: I, do you... I, Lee, I met Miles when I was 13 at Birdland in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. I went there primarily heard here, here Minor Ferguson's big band, but but Miles Miles was on the bill, and after Miles got through with his set, I was blown away, and I went over to the stage looking at his trumpet, and this head pops out behind the curtain says very in that gruff voice what are you doing? and I said I'm a trumpet player I'm looking at your trumpet he says alright and he disappeared and that's the only time I ever saw him and I did an album recently a tribute to Miles because it had a huge effect on my playing hearing Miles when I was 13
2: that yeah. well, was with a famous
0: sextet with John Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley so at Birdland that so was that in the in, in the 50's I guess right then? When, when you, no, that's you 61.
2: Oh, sixty-one. 61. Okay. You know, we, we need the we need the Zatola yeah. movie. We need the Zatola, like the Glenn Miller. <laughs> we need the Zatola <laughs> movie, so you guys could. share. Else. what I want to do, I want to be able to play some more music. So we're going to do about a minute of Cottontail Talk. So we're back. Tell me about that.
1: Uh, Well, that was uh, quite an adventure. Back in 1965, I decided I wanted to put together my dream band uh, and do a recording. So I asked uh, Tommy Newsom, who was one of the members in in the Air Force Band that we shared time with, and uh, he was a wonderful friend, besides being a really terrific musician, actually got me on... uh, the World's Fair um performance with the Benny Goodman Big Band. And uh so I said, Tommy, would you write me some charts and um and I'll assemble the band and we'll go into a recording studio. And we went into a an A and R recording studio in in Manhattan, which was the premier studio. And the reason I was able to do that and it didn't cost me a dime by the way, mm-hmm. was the the owner, Phil Ramone, was a violinist at one time and was on the Ted Mack show with me and, and he, he wanted to do me a favor and Phil Ramone by the way is
0: a huge star and he became a huge star in Hollywood right Bob as a producer
1: uh, oh yeah amazing yeah you're very very successful uh... You, he didn't do it through the violin, he, he, but he was a great businessman and knew how to choose, you know, the best. But anyway, I assembled this great band uh, with Richie Kamuka on tenor—that's what you heard. You know, great right. tenor saxophone player. Tommy Newsom was on it. Julius Watkins, a great French horn player, and none, none other than Chick Corea on piano, with Steve Swallow on on bass, and. Um, it was an amazing album that we've managed to put together with uh, with uh, limited <laughs> time to work on it, and um, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn encouraged me to have it uh, taken, you know, actually um, put on a disc, because at the time it was just a reel the reel We never did any more. And I remember, I
0: remember being at that session like yesterday, not playing, but, you know, I was only a kid, but I remember being at that session like yesterday.
2: Yeah. Well, well, Glenn, you know, it, 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 you're ta- you guys were talking earlier about how you don't have to be in the same place to be able to record and put it together. But on the other hand, I'd like to actually meet you in person. So if you come to visit your brother, Bob, you'll be in Florida. <laughs> well, I'm actually, I'm actually looking
0: at relocating in the summer to Florida, okay. by the way.
2: Oh, good. We'll Possibly. Finally, good.
0: Or, at least sec- or at least a second home. You know, I have a question for Bob before we run out sure. of time, okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, but, and you haven't covered it all. Bob's resume... You know, I have a large resume also, but Bob's resume is spectacular. Sinatra, Quincy Jones, Benny Goodman, uh, the, his Broadway work uh, is incredible, incredible resume. And he tells me stories all the time, and my jaw drops uh, of these stories. And said, like the one he mentioned, you know, sitting in with Miles, which I didn't even know that story until recently. But my question, I have, I'm have. i only been recording lately. Since my TV sheet closed, I really am not playing live. Bob is very busy, turning 80 years old, and as you heard from my cover of The Waterfront, his playing, which is unheard of on trumpet, is as spectacular as, as it ever was. I think it's better than ever, and he's mm-hmm. total New York quality, as I put it. So I have a question for Bob. Have we both lived you know i was I was sharing a track I did recently with the great Phil Bodner, one of the greatest studio musicians of all time, something we did on two altos on an album and I took it for granted back then. you know you arrive at a session and you're around the best musicians in the world in New York, and when I did television, no matter what I did, I was always around the best um and i and I wanted to know from Bob how he deals with that no longer being in that environment uh, that we both have shared. You know, you just take it for granted. You live in New York or wherever, or L.A., and you walk into a session, or you walk on, and you're re- literally surrounded by the best, literally the best musicians no- in the world, most of them no longer here. And I wanted to know from Bob how he deals with that, because I look back <laughs> on it now, and I used to take it for granted, but it was such a glorious thing to be part of that, whole thing you know all those years oh uh, well if you're asking me do i miss that yes i do
1: um in fact okay. just uh today uh, i woke up and i spoke to my wife terry and i said maybe we should spend six months in new york area which we have a condo in greenwich connecticut which is right outside of new york that's where i was born and uh in the other six months down here, I, when, when it just gets too cold up there, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in order to still have my, my um, interplay and my, have my battery recharged more. Um, so it is, it is an issue. Um, I make the best of it, and I uh, try to always keep musical quality uh, first and foremost in my mind. I don't settle for um, mediocre um, I never want to settle for mediocre in my own playing, and, and I don't want to settle for mediocre with the players that I that I hire. So uh, that's about all I can say. Anything else, I'd have to speak to a
2: therapist. <laughs> you guys make me laugh.
0: <laughs> but, but you know, Bob, in due respect, you know, I think it's that way. Even if you moved back to New York, it wouldn't have the environment we're talking about. Oh no! Well, that's disappeared. Uh, there's no, there's I no mean, more Richard uh, Tommy. There, there is the music music no Tommy, Tommy no uh, in, in or New or York Goodman. City anymore. You know what I mean? All the people um, we've played with—they're they're no longer here.
1: No, and I'm that's not true. saying that people that are here, are here are not
0: bad, but it's not the same. It really isn't. Yeah. No. No, definitely not.
2: Well, well, New York City is unlike any other city, and all the musicians, Glenn, that you—you know—you've sent me that we've done shows with. That—that that was the place. That's—that was where it all happened. That's where they all got together. And, you know, people talk about social social media. To me, it's actually antisocial because it lets you not get together, you know, to do things. And, and that, that's kind of a shame. But, you know, I read up, up quite a bit on Bob. You know, he, he, he worked as a freelance jazz musician in New York on TV, Broadway, recording studios, played uh, with the Broadway show Les Mis for like 16 years. That was a lot of stuff. And one of the questions I wanted to ask Bob was, you know, making context was a key thing in order to land a lot of the gigs that you had. What advice would you give now to young and talented musicians, you know, aspiring to be professional? Oh, my
0: oh, oh my God. Yeah, what a question, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I asked the loaded
2: one. ones. I asked the loaded questions. Yes. Uh, it
0: is a
1: loaded one. I mean, uh, I, I've had other musicians actually say to me, do I need a manager? Do I need a talent scout? Do I need a, not a talent scout, but an agent? Uh, and I said all of that was meaningless in terms of the freelance music field, the field that Glenn and I grew up in and still are involved in somewhat. Um, it, it's all word of mouth recommendation. If you're going to get hired, whether it's a, a big hit like Les Miserables or, or just uh, uh, you know an event, a corporate event at at uh, the Waldorf Astoria somebody's going to recommend you it's not because you have a good manager or a good agent nobody wants to hear. they want to know when,
0: when I, when I was, from somebody they trust when, when I, the, can when Bob I was do hot, I was hot in New York doing maybe
2: yeah.
0: when I was hot in New York maybe doing ten, 10 jazz albums a year basically my name was on the tip of everybody's buddy's tongue for like a, a really great swing trumpet player when anyone needed someone for an album I mean that, my name was on the tip of the tongue as first call
2: Okay, that doesn't okay.
0: happen through nature. That happens through, you know, you playing places and your reputation. People hear you. Right, Bob? That's absolutely correct. Yep.
2: Right. now, The now, only way. Yeah, and we're going to play, we're gonna, I think we're going to have time to play a couple, a couple more clips. I wanted to ask, because um, we're going to wrap up in just, in just a few minutes, but I know you ended up vac- vacationing in Naples, Florida. You play at Cafe on the Fifth. You know, that's where you live now. You play for the Naples Jazz Lovers. That's your fan base. Um, tell us a little bit about that group.
1: Well, it, it started, uh, I mean, I didn't uh, start it with any intention of forming the Naples Jazz Lovers, but um, I started playing one night a week on right downtown Naples Cafe on Fifth Avenue back in, I think it was 2006 or seven. I was still not living down here. I was still um, spending most of my time up, up north, uh, you know, doing Les Miserables, and um, so um, the people would come and they loved it, and uh, I'd, I'd sign them up for uh, to receive my newsletter or it's newsletter slash schedule, so they would know where we're playing next, and and that uh, escalated until I was finally at, at one point there I was doing twelve performances a week, and that's hardly retired. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I have a mailing list now of a little under a thousand people that I and my newsletter out to, and many of them are even overseas in Germany and England. But they come here on vacation during the season, and then the the, uh, the year round people too. And uh, I call them the Naples Jazz Lovers.
2: Now, let me ask you: How can someone get that newsletter? Do you have a website they can go to?
1: Well, from the website, they really wouldn't be able to sign up. They would have to email me
2: okay. um,
1: at my name, Bob Zatola, at naplesjazzlovers.com.
2: Okay, and your Zatola is Z O T T O L A.
1: Yes, thank you very oh, much. You're I welcome. just um, we started playing at this comedy club, and they have my name Z A T T O L A, and, and uh, my dad just turned over in his grave when he saw that.
2: Oh boy! Well, hopefully, the, <laughs> hopefully they'll correct that. But what I want to do now is I want to play just like a minute clip from your C- uh, the CD that you sent me called "If I Should Lose You." Oh, okay, great. Okay. Another great song Bob tell me about it
1: oh well that that's actually um a frank Sinatra um, a chart and uh that's a beautiful chart i actually i can't I, Quincy Jones wrote that yes uh, in fact uh it's a it's a very very much a swinging chart and uh um, instead of having Frank Sinatra's voice on it, um, I put the
0: trumpet on that.
2: Okay. Now, both of you, you've both done work for Music Minus One uh, with our Krafka, mm-hmm. who thank, uh, Glenn had sent to me he was on a previous show. Uh, Music Minus One is the company that was around for like 66 years and would basically deduct a track so that whoever was learning to improvise could do that. I have to say I really enjoyed your I, your video I saw on YouTube that did talk about singing and you know gave the explanation musically. It was a very concise thing. It actually made a lot of sense to me. I went, wow, this is kind of cool because one of the things that I've always done and I am not a singer by any means but when I'm learning a song and I want to play the chords without the melody, you know, I kind of hum it or sing it or I hear it in my head and I play along. But I notice that if the song is written really high and I can't transpose it, uh, it doesn't come out so good because I can't sing it. And that's something that, that you've talked about. Um, right now you're you're you know playing it in, in Naples. Do you teach lessons at this point?
1: Oh, yes. That's what I've been doing. I, actually, I, with, with the technology, I'm able to do it via Skype and uh, FaceTime. And uh, I have students uh, as far out as California, San Francisco. I had one in England. I haven't talked to him in a while. In fact, I had a Russian trumpet player contact me, and we did um, one lesson, but I couldn't understand him. (laughs) 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 I I couldn't understand him, and he couldn't understand me, and he was playing in his apartment, and he was playing with a mute because I guess he had to work during the day, and the time difference made him at night. (laughs) And right <laughs> so right. it wasn't workable, but wasn't. Uh, in any case, the technology allows me to um, give my improvisation lessons to you know any place in the world as long as we can understand each other and uh but I have students that come to me to my location here in Naples, and that's ideal of course
2: great all right now we're we're basically out of time i I want to thank both of you for being on the show I mean to me it's very special Glenn thank you for, for co-hosting Bob thank you for being our guest um, they can go well, to your you. Lori
0: I want to tell you something Sure. I, I've told you this before you are the best in the world I've been interviewed all over the world and you're so knowledgeable you're an artist yourself you're thank a you, fantastic Glenn. fantastic interviewer
2: thank you And I and, agree 100% oh, <laughs> thank you so much and so what we're going to do um, to end the show we're actually going to go out with old lady be good And I want to thank everybody for joining me on The World of Lori Zook. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Bye-bye, Glenn. Bye.